Hey everybody, before we start this episode, I just wanted to say, for the first 25 minutes of this episode, the mics are bad. I, I did it again. I, I left the built-in mic on instead of switching over to the regular mics. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. If it does, I mean, I'll, I'll say sorry again, but I apologize. The first bit of this is going to be poor sound quality. The rest of it is better. Enjoy! I feel like we should start this episode out with a Croyler's car corner. A car corner? Oh my god. <laughs> Especially after Wednesday. <laughs> oh man. We, uh, Croyler and I were scheduled to do our Wednesday recording at 5.30 is usually when we start. Yep. Croyler is nothing if not punctual. I am very punctual. So... <laughs> Like five thirty comes around five forty, and most ta- most of the time with someone, I'm just like they're they're running late. But I knew something something must have been up if you're ten <laughs> minutes late. So I text Croiler, and he had a flat tire, and you were just on the street. Like I was I was literally, two minutes down yeah, the street, yeah. And you're trying to patch it, and you I'm like okay, well I, I can come over and. I've never patched a tire, but if nothing else, I can just... To be fair, neither have I ever patched a tire. But yeah. I, I figured I could follow the instructions, apparently. You know what? We followed the instructions. We did. That was just a shitty kit, is what I'm going to chalk it up to. I'll, I'll accept that. Because I later watched some YouTube videos oh, I did on how too. to do it. Yeah. I thought, I think we were doing it right. So we spent, what, 20, 30 minutes just About trying to patch hour. this thing, and... Yeah. It came with all these rubber pieces that we were just breaking over and over and over. Yeah, the tool, I think the tool was was either poorly designed or the pieces were just, you know, weak and garbagey. Yeah. So we spent that time trying to fix it. And I would would just always call a tow truck and have them get it and then replace the tire because I'm lazy like that. But... Afterwards, I got right, let's try to change the tire. So we tried to change the tire, and... Which we did. We were successful in changing the tire. But we did struggle, because... We didn't have a jack. <laughs> yeah, well, the jack you had was busted, <clears throat> and my jack was missing a piece, I found out. So we had to call uh, your father-in-law pretty to much, come, yeah. and I felt like a high school kid, just yeah, waiting much. around for dad to come <laughs> save us. So yeah, he shows up. Has a jack. We change it in three minutes and are on our way. But we didn't record that day. So, Croiler, if you're changing a flat tire, where do you put the jack? Where you put the jack on the frame of the car? Yeah, I, I, I'm kidding. I'm not gonna walk you through it because I, I still, I still, I still don't know. I think, I think Dave put it on the axle. So any car people out there, I don't know if you put it on the frame, the axle, if it matters, but. Hey, we, we survived. We got through it. We made it. We made it. We're here. Yeah. And a couple of days later, but we're here. <laughs> yeah. And that was a new set of tires too, wasn't it? Yeah. Brand new like six weeks ago. Did you take it back to the place where you got the tire? They said as long as it's not a tire malfunction, they won't cover it. And it's not like it blew out or the, the threads ran thin or anything like that. It was, you know, a pothole or, you know, a nail or something. I mean, the hole's pretty large. All right. But it's patched now. It's patched. So everyone listening, we, uh, neither of us are car guys. Oh, not at all. Croiler's not a sports guy outside of jujitsu, and neither of us are car guys. So if you have any car questions, if you have any 
car questions, email us and we'll do our best to answer them. Right. You, you know who, who does excel at cars, though? No. Paul. Really? Yeah. Apparently, he, that's what he does is builds car parts or something like that. Oh. Well, I'm surprised he does that. I just figured he sat home and drooled until Kip was ready to record a podcast with him. I think it's pretty much what he does at work. Okay. Yeah. Which I guess brings us around to next, well, when this podcast comes out. Actually, when this podcast comes out... It'll be a week, right? And then it's... Uh, no, this podcast will, will come out today. Yeah, so then yeah, like so, in a week. So next week, yeah, we, Paul from Grappling Dads, and I have our death match where, if you're not familiar, on his podcast, he challenged me because we have a team training event next Saturday, May 11th. And he wants to prove that uh, Braun is going to beat Technique every time. Yeah. yeah. So, Paulie Parrott over there thinks that he is going to wipe the floor with me. And we will see next Saturday when I'm standing over his unconscious unconscious body looking at his family as they're weeping. And I'm like saying, I'm sorry he made me do this. You might be apologizing. I'll just be smiling. <laughs> <laughs> You'll walk up to his children and go, your dad is nothing. Yep. And tell his wife he's wel- she's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, we have that to look forward to next week. We'll probably, I'm sure someone there will live stream it and we'll put it up on our yeah, Facebook Austin, page. Yeah, Austin. Austin. Junior Jesus. Austin is not training because his knees are hurt. So, he's going to be there to watch. So, I'll just have him live stream it. Perfect. So, you guys will see the event of the century. I can't overhype this enough. It's going to be jujitsu at its finest. Absolutely. This think of what's the best. What's one of the best jujitsu matches you've ever seen? Best jujitsu matches I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh man. Um, you know, there's Hajar and Jacaray. Terrible. <laughs> They'll be terrible compared to this. Okay. Right. Hajar and Jacaray themselves could watch this, and they'll go, "Ooh, we're embarrassed for what we did when we watched these guys roll." Okay. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you to that promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's actually just gonna look like two little girls slap fighting. So, tune in Saturday, May 11th. Welcome, everyone, to episode 13. It's weird that we're already 13 episodes in. Yep. If I were a superstitious person, I would be uh, hesitant to have a 13th episode. Yeah, if we just go like 12, 14, and... Mm. But you know what? I'm not. So I'm just going to say this is episode 13. I think it's going to be our best episode. Okay. I know it has the potential to be, because today is a special episode. It's one of our BJJ... Uh, I don't remember what this I called the series. Uh, Heroes, BJJ figures. Ah, I'll, I'll look at the previous episodes, but super prepared. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, this one is on Holes Gracie. We have made m- numerous references to him in the past thirteen episodes because mm-hmm. you can't do thirteen episodes on jujitsu and not have his name come up multiple times. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, revolutionized jujitsu. So yeah, and. He's, he revolutionized it, but outside of the jiu-jitsu community, I don't think he's as well-known as he should be with a lot of the right. people who just, let's say, the only knowledge they have of jiu-jitsu is what they've seen in MMA. Right. Nobody's ever heard of him. It, it was new to me when I first started jiu-jitsu, and then 
you other people started to talk about him. I looked him up. I looked him up and thought, this just looks like a white guy. Because he, he's very <laughs> right. fair-skinned. Right. Um, Blue eyes, you know, fair-skinned, dark hair. Yeah. He, he, like the other people we've done episodes on, fascinating guy. You have personal connection. Or a connect, your connection to him would, one, be family, but also Marcio Stambowski, who right. trained you. It was one of his black belts, and he only right. had, what, how many? Yeah. Technically six. Um, the, if you look up like the famous five, those are the five black belts that they got his black belts through holes. And then I don't know if it was right before his, his death or right after his death, he gave a sixth one. And this, but they kept the name famous five because it sounds better than famous six. Could have said like the stupendous six or like, I guess they could have changed the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, so that's that's the one of the t- couple of the ties you have to them. And when you think of holes, what are the some of the first things that come to mind? Adaptability um, and creativity. I think I think um, those two words kind of in in a very very broad level um, cover cover holes. You know, um, growing up long before you know I took jujitsu as as like a serious because when you're a little kid and you're growing up doing this it's just kind of something you do you know you're not thinking I'm going to make my living off of this I'm not going to dedicate my life to this it's, it's just fun my family does it I'm going to do it um, I had never met Holes he, he passed um, seven years before I was born um, so all I've ever heard of him growing up was through my, my aunts and uncles and cousins and nobody ever spoke poorly of Holes even you know in, in a large family there's always going to be you know, one family member that may not like another or small, you know, tiffs and issues and stuff. But, um, but not with Holes. Like, Holes was kind of always, always portrayed in a, in a I don't know, in, in, in a, not just in a good light, but in a way that made you want to be like that, you know? Yeah, it sounded like he was amongst many other things as far as a, big figure in actual jiu-jitsu is just kind of diplomatic and like right. glue that kind of brought right. people together, which I guess we could go back and talk about first. He brought your dad's family and his brother's family. He was kind of a connecting glue. Not that they were fighting, but he just was this like... Right, you know, so, you know, Carlos, you know, Carlos was the first Gracie in the family to learn jiu-jitsu and... Um, my grandfather learned it from watching Carlos teach. And then my grandfather modified jujitsu to fit his body and, and his his physical ability, at which point Carlos saw value to it. And the two of them spent years, you know, sharpening and polishing jujitsu into what would work for my grandfather with the idea if it would work for my grandfather, it would work for everybody, considering my grandfather was very frail and weak. Um, the reason why that's important is because, you know, the two of them, Carlos and Elio were, I mean, my grandfather idolized Carlos. I mean, he was like a father figure to my grandfather. And, you know, as Carlos steps away from the direct coaching, the direct teaching, the direct hand in jujitsu, and my grandfather takes that mantle and he starts coaching his kids and Carlos's kids, um, you know, it's bound to happen that the question of like, you know, which side of the family or whatever. Um, 
is the true side or the best side and 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 anybody that thinks that way is is stupid because it's all gracie like you know we're all gracie members there's no better side there's not even sides as far as i'm concerned we're all just one family um but holes is very important in that my grandfather raised holes raised holes as one of his kids and um in doing so, Holes was kind of seated in a way that while he was from Carlos' side of the family, he was also raised by Elio's, you know, by Elio and his views and stuff. So he was immediately a guru to both sides. Like nobody could hate him. You know, there's no, there could be no animosity from either side. There could be no jealousy from either side. There could be no, no question because Holes was literally born from one side and raised by the other right he was was holes carlos's first son no okay no i don't i don't believe he was okay so he i think 1951 he was born Mm -hmm. and then did carlos ask your dad hey will you raise him or did your dad my grandfather i'm sorry your grandfather (laughs) you're not that old no Uh, i mean if i am i look really good (laughs) (laughs) did your grandfather say hey i i can raise this kid my, my grandfather always wanted a, a large family um he always wanted as he wanted a, an army of kids and he was always the he was always enticed about the idea of just having a gigantic family and anytime there's an opportunity to raise you know kids you know he he adopted like the machados he raised the machados um you know he had 10 kids of his own for him, if Carlos was, you know, Carlos had many kids. I think Carlos had way more kids than my grandfather did. And, uh, you know, if Carlos was at a limit to how many kids he could raise at that time, you know, my grandfather's like, hey, I'll, I'll take him off your hands. I don't know if he offered or if Carlos asked for help or how, how that played out. But but my grandfather did a lot of the, the race, you know, race, Carl, uh, race holes in a lot of the critical years. Huh. So he was non-biologically, but kind of Elio's first son. Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. At least, at least that's the role that my grandfather saw saw him in. You know, okay. as his son or as his dad, for that matter. So he comes into the family. Did your grandma's wife? Did she accept him in as he came? You know, my 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 grandpa had a he had two wives. Um, his first wife had issues having kids and she understood um, my grandfather's, you know, desire for kids. So, you know, this quasi adoption, it wasn't truly an adoption, right? He was just raising his brother's kid. Um, I think for her, that was kind of like a blessing. You know, my grandfather would have this, as far as my grandfather's concerned, this kid, you know, his own son. um, And she could, you know, she could, accept that and make my grandfather happy because if she was not okay with it I'm sure that that would create strife between them so um, yeah I think she accepted it I okay. think she saw it as a blessing in disguise yeah so Holes grows up spending mo- is he spending most of his time with Elio yeah uh, being raised by Elio right you gotta yeah. remind that the Gracie family especially back then were very we're very very close and you know while they may have had separate houses, there was the main Gracie compound where everybody was uh, at all times. So they lived close by? They lived close by, or there was enough of interaction that it was understood, you know, like, he is your dad, I'm just 
here. Mm, okay. So. All right. So as he's growing up, was he from the start a a standout? Was he always kind of the, like so, the leader of the um, pack? Yeah, I think I think Holes is a natural leader. Um, he, I, I talked to Marcio once. You know, I I, I was. I think it was 18, 19. I was visiting Marcio. We were at his house. We were actually playing chess. Because shoots and ladders, you can say that. I know it's not smarter to say chess. No. But you, no. Shoots and ladders, okay. It's, it's chess. If you, if you guys ever want to get your asses beat, go play chess with Marcio. It's incredible. He's very good. Give us the address, and people <laughs> will start going there to challenge him. Just in chess, right? Just, yeah, just in chess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're playing chess, and, and I asked him, I said, you know, Everybody talks about how incredible Hose was, right? And how he he kind of led the family for a long time. He was the glue that brought it all together. But but was he really that good? And 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 Marsh is like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, he he died a tragic death way before his time. Um, he was loved by everybody, so nobody's going to naturally speak poorly of of Hose. So it's easy to you know, embellish the stories. And, and Marcy said, oh, no. He said, you don't understand. He's like, Holes was the 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 most perfect jujitsu I have ever seen. He's like, and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, so he's like, you know how the symbol in jujitsu is, is a triangle, right? And he goes, that's because it's supposed to be well-balanced. You know, you have soul, mind, and body, and it's supposed to be a, a perfect unison. He's like, I think of holes more like a, a sphere. And I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? And he's like, there's nothing that you could do to holes that would affect how holes was. You know, his performance is always the same. And I'm like, well, how does that translate back to the sphere? He's like, well, think of a ball. Think of a perfect round ball. Toss it. It's always going to land the same way because there's no difference in its in its shape right it's it's perfect all around and uh and and marcia said no he, he said he really was the the perfect embodiment of jiu-jitsu especially in at the time mm-hmm. you know that he was coming up and competing and training and challenging others and so on right was he how you said he was the perfect example of jiu-jitsu the soul mind body um did Marcia talk about just like on the on the mats? Was he everything that people yeah. said? I mean, well, it's easy to mythologize something, right, but right. <laughs> when you hear firsthand accounts, so you know, first before I go into like growing up, you know, my my aunt, my uncles, everybody has always spoke about how kind um, Holes was, and about how he was a leader and he was this benevolent force. He's always helping others. You know, he like would make sure that everybody in the family felt included and special and kind of like what Marcio does, um, you know, anytime I meet him. Um, and then, you know, talking to Marcio, Marcio said he, uh, Holes was on the mats. He was like a, he was like a, like a father figure to a lot of the students in that, that he wanted them to do well. He, he taught them, he, you know, told them everything that they needed to hear to improve, even if sometimes that wasn't what they wanted to hear. And uh, he, he even talks about um, how, like, you know, like a, like a father figure, sometimes you beat your ass because you're out of line or, you know, that's what you need to, to get your shit together. And uh, Marcia told, told me the story a few years ago of he went to this competition and 
he, he fought this very hard match against this guy and he did three Macajon sweeps and took them out and stayed in the mount. Macajon sweeps again when he got rolled over. Just dominated the match and then finally armbar the guy and he says he was like, you know, he, said he was like in his 17, 18 years old and he's kind of to hold his like, Master, do you see what I did there? I did three Macahon sweeps, and then I got the armbar at the end. And he said that Hose never smiled. Like, never, like, you know. And, and he's known for being, like, this very friendly guy. He says Hose didn't crack a smile. He just looked at him and said, we'll talk Monday. And, and then Marcia said he didn't care that he won. He's like, the whole weekend, he's like, the tournament was, like, on a Friday. He's like, Saturday and Sunday. He goes, those are the worst two days of my life. He's like, because I didn't know what to expect. I was like, I'm going to get my ass beaten for something. I don't even know what I did. And uh, and he said that, uh, you know, Monday came around and he went to class. And he, he just, he's like, you know, it's, yeah, I'm going to take it. Whatever it is, I'm just going to take it. And he says, he came in there. He's like, Master, says you want to talk to me? And, and he said, the holes tore a new one you know tore him a new one basically told him that, that was garbage and that he should have one Macau sweep should have been enough because he should have been able to finish the armbar mm-hmm. in one go and the fact should have been over much sooner the fact they had to do it two more times meant he failed two more times right and and basically Marcio you know he said like he he was he would praise you in your victories he would praise you in your losses um, but he would also let you know what he expected and, and if it wasn't you know the absolute best or, or, or as close to perfection as you could then that wasn't good enough and, and you had to you know you had to strive for that always a continuous pursuit of perfection of excellence so he he was a guy who had a pursuit of perfection but also as I read about him and was finding out more what one of the other things that sets him apart was like the open mind that he had and always the search for right. knowledge and growth I saw that he traveled a lot when he was younger. Yeah, he did. He had a, uh, was a mother who was a flight attendant, mm-hmm. so he would go travel internationally, right. which was different from all the other kids at the time right. that he was growing up with. So I don't know if when he was traveling around, he was seeing other martial arts, but he at least was being shown other parts of the world. And that attitude seems like it just set him up perfectly to be the figure he is where he started to... Uh, I don't know at what age he started to branch out to other I, arts. I'm not quite sure what age. I do know that um, he he eventually operated his own school. And it was while he was operating his own school that he started implementing. So so people talk about jujitsu before holes and then after holes. Because up until holes came around, the idea was if you get on top, you stay on top. You, you know, continue to advance your position until you get to the mount or the back find an opening, you submit. If you're in the bottom, you close guard, you attack from close guard, or you find a way to... All right, everyone. Uh, I, I, I noticed as we were doing this, we were on the built-in mics again like we were from a couple episodes ago. Yeah, my, my mistake. So we're back to the regular mics. Some of you may not notice a huge difference. I definitely do, but... Anyways, Did you take the sticky note off? No, the sticky note's on here. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to move it from the bottom of the screen. To the, Just put it right in the middle. To the like. top of the screen so I can't see anything but it. Oh, man. Okay, so we were talking about holes. You said before him, uh, people would get to the top mount, right. stay there. Right, so the idea was, you know, if you, if you got on top, you stay on top until you find... A, you know a way to advance or submit if you're in the bottom you would control with closed guard and then attack from there or find a way to the top and then again 
continue to dominate and advance until we find an opportunity to submit. And then when the host came around, he started asking questions like, what if the guy is so large or so much bigger than me? Or what if, you know, I'm not flexible or I don't have the, the length to do close guard? How would I deal with somebody like that? You know, because at that point, that's a pivotal weakness in the traditional way of jujitsu. You know, like, how would you deal with that? And, and nobody had the answer. <laughs> So he said, why can't I do the same thing I do with closed guard? Why can't I do it with my legs open? Mm-hmm. In fact, he said, he didn't, I don't say, I don't know if he said this, but I'm assuming the mentality wasn't, you know, you having your legs free to move, while you may lose some control, it does give you variability and versatility with your legs and how you can, you know, implement them in your game. So, so he was, the, you know, he was the first guy to, to do open guard. He was the first guy to push the idea of, if you cannot keep it closed, then your open guard must be, you know, efficient and aggressive enough in order to be successful. What kind of open guard stuff was he doing? Right. And again, given, you know, this was between 51 and 82, you know, um, probably very rudimentary. It'd probably be something that, you know, um, that is fundamental to blue belts, purple belts now, but at the time was cutting edge, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and he, he, you know, didn't stop there. You know, he asked the questions of, you know, who, 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 the, who has the best takedowns, you know, and, and in Brazil at the time, it was the judokas, you know, so he, he became friends with a high level judoka in Brazil. I forget his name now. He was a French, French by origin. Um, and he trained judo. I believe he got his black belt in judo. He instantly started implementing judo takedowns into jujitsu because for him, if you if you couldn't take the fight to the ground, it didn't matter how good his ground game was. Um, on his travels, he met um, before he was doing uh, incorporating the judo throws. What were most of the takedowns that were being? Used? He was still doing judo takedowns, right? You got to remind the Brazilian jujitsu is essentially like a a more polished form of Japanese. Uh, of Japanese Jiu-Jitsu or Judo, right? Mm. So the Judo takedowns were still there. I just don't think they're as emphasized, right? Because of how much fun the the rolling portion is and how miserable it is to practice takedowns, mm. you know, um, they were maybe not as emphasized. So you go to a specialist, somebody who only does the throws. Um, so I don't think I don't think it was so much that he didn't know takedowns or that he wasn't good with them. It was just a matter of hey, this guy's an expert in this slice of jujitsu that I want to learn. And, and he went there, you know, and, and he learned the tricks, learned what he needed to learn to bring it back to his, to his jujitsu. How did the family view him going off and studying other martial arts? Were they at first skeptical of that? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure because the idea was jujitsu was perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Gracie jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu was perfect. So why, why would you need something else? And, and I think his argument was a very healthy one of yes jujitsu is perfect he wasn't contradicting that he was simply saying you know i've dedicated 90 percent of my jujitsu time has been on ground fighting there are people that are out there that have spent 90 percent of their time their training time on how to get the guy to the ground you know i could learn from their mistakes much faster than if i had to switch and start focusing only on stand-up you know, um, think of it this way. So like all the stuff, all the, all the jiu that I know 
you guys will learn at a much faster pace mm-hmm. because all the, the research has been done. All the experience has already been acquired. And we're way smarter than you are. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, the next generation after you guys will learn it even faster and so on and so forth. So for him, it was like this guy, this judoka, I forget his name now. He, I know he was French though. He was a French judoka in Brazil. Um, he, he, in Ho's mind, had already done all the research. He had already done all the, has already all the experience and, and knows the techniques. I could learn from everything he knows from him at a much faster pace than I have, I have to figure this out on my own. Um, eventually he met um, a wrestler, I forget his name. Bob uh, Anderson? Yeah, I was going to say it was Bob something. Um, yeah, so Bob Anderson. Eventually met Bob Anderson. Um, and, and same, same deal there it was a completely different style of grappling right something that was not very known or very common in brazil um he started wrestling and loved the idea of the takedowns not being upper body throws but being more you know doubles and singles and ankle picks um and and he spent a lot of time with bob learned you know as much as he could incorporate what he thought was um he incorporated all that he thought was beneficial to jiu-jitsu from wrestling mm-hmm. anything that wasn't or did not make sense he eliminated right um i mean he liked wrestling so much that he started wrestling for a while where yeah. i mean didn't he try to get an olympic team yeah. together yeah he did get an olympic team together. okay yeah like hickson and marcio and holes like it was a bunch of gracies and like high level black belts in that in that wrestling team and somehow through the politics or something uh the there's some sort of issue with the committee. I don't know if it was the Olympic committee or some sort of immigration committee. They, they kind of basically fizzled out and they didn't allow them to compete or allow them to fly out there to compete. Um, so they never made it out there, but they had a whole official team going, had uniforms and everything. And they did compete in other, I think other like tournaments oh, that yeah, I saw yeah, yeah. and they, they did fairly well. Right. They went to other countries and competed. They just, for whatever reason, it didn't work out for them to go to the Olympics. I wonder how long they, they went through the wrestling phase was and, and what was like Carlos and Helio's opinion of that did they think like all right these guys they're just messing around and they need to come back to jiu-jitsu or they saw the benefit of the cross training I think they might have and and Holes was a perfect person to 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 be that guy right because he was from both sides of the family imagine if it had been let's say like Horian, who was, you know, strictly like, you know, Ilio's son raised by Ilio, or like Carlinhos or Carlos Jr., who was specifically only Carlos, right, raised by Carlos. Um, if one of them decided to say, hey, I'm gonna do wrestling, to a wrestling club now, <laughs> the other side could immediately say, hey man, the fuck's up with your son over there, <laughs> yeah. you know? But being that Holes was, admired, respected, well-accomplished in jiu-jitsu was kind of like the glue that held both sides together. Um, he, he can't hate on that. Mm-hmm. You know, they they were like, the guy, it's not that he stopped training jiu-jitsu, it's not that he stopped teaching jiu-jitsu, it wasn't that he wasn't competing in jiu-jitsu anymore. He just wanted to see what he could do. He's in so many different things that we talk about with him. It just comes down to like, he was the perfect guy to do yes. it. Like he was the, the yeah he was like he was a perfect storm to mm-hmm. to take jujitsu from what it was to what it is because it'd be very easy someone who has the same skills but would not be able to accomplish that if they were 
brash, blunt, if they right. were not diplomatic, if they didn't have ties to both families. Right. He ticked all the boxes to... Things could have gone very differently. There are right. parallel universes right now where, right. where <laughs> one side of the Gracie family became wrestlers. Right. One side's solely jujitsu. There's one where they both just went right into the WWE. Really? Yeah, there's that okay. universe somewhere right. out there. Okay. That's it. Your knowledge of uh, you know, parallel, parallel universes. universes is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've i gotten pretty into the, the comic books lately. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so he got into wrestling, wrestled with Bob Anderson for a while. Right. I read about Bob Anderson's experience of seeing uh, holes and thinking, like, this guy is a respected grappler. And then as soon as they grappled. started to grapple, he proceeded to be tapped multiple oh, yeah. times and respect was instantly earned. Right. And that's the thing, because, like, Holes is not an intimidating looking guy. No, like, when, I, when you <laughs> see pictures, you throw a suit on him. He looks like he's just going to be like at your like local insurance agency. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at Hickson, like you know, back in the seventies and eighties when he was, you know, getting started in his MMA career or competing jujitsu or, or even hell all the way up to like to now. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at Hickson now. He looks like a stud. Yeah, I mean, Hickson looks like he will kill you and your family and not feel you know the the least bad about doing any of it. I mean, he looks like a savage and. You it's no at, surprise when someone goes, yeah, that guy's one of the best grapplers ever. Right, right. Him? Oh, yeah, I believe that. Absolutely, mm-hmm. right. Where you look at holes, you're like, is he, though? <laughs> and, you know, he was he was very good. He did Sambo, too, for a while. Um, he did compete in Sambo. I, I don't know the extent of how long he trained Sambo or who he did it with, but I do know he did, he did take part in Sambo training. He competed with Hickson, I believe, in Sambo as well. So yeah, so the, the the approach with the wrestling, the approach with the judo or and, and or sambo there was the idea was I have this amazing tool set in jujitsu, right? And there might be some people that know how to use some of those tools better than I do. So I can learn from them and bring it back. And and maybe some of those people can even have different venues for me to use that those tools, you know, a better way to get to, to use those tools. So that open mindset was pivotal in jiu-jitsu because it revitalized the idea of jiu-jitsu is not perfect yet. We need to continue searching and researching and, and improving and not just polishing what we have. Yeah, there's a mentality of humility and understanding and self-awareness of understanding you're not the end-all be-all right. in martial arts and that. That's tough, I think, even for all of us now, too. You have, like, a guy come in who's, like, a wrestler, and you go, yeah, okay, well, he wrestles, but I know jiu-jitsu, so I'm, I'm still going to be right. better. If, if if you don't roll with that person and have an open mind to, oh, well, that was kind of cool what he did, right. then you're missing out on potentially something that could completely change your game. And then, uh, did, you, did you watch any of the footage of him, of him competing? There's some footage. I've seen some. I saw him rolling with Hickson. yeah. Did you see? I mean, he made Hickson look not not very good, but that's also Hickson was pretty young at that time too. Not that much younger. I think Holes is only like six or seven years older than Hickson. He's not that much older. It's not like he's like fifteen years older than him. Okay. And yeah, I mean, you see footage of him ragdolling Hickson around, you know, and Hickson will tell you that that Holes was one of his main instructors. He was the the guy that he the jujitsu strive to have. Again, ask anybody. That's anybody. They will all tell you that Holes was 
his jiu-jitsu was far superior and it was far ahead of his time. I mean, he was 20 years ahead of his time. Right. And like so many people who are ahead of their time, he then passed away far too early and you're left wondering, man, what would... What could have been? What would, yeah, jiu-jitsu look like if we had him for another 40 years? Right. And and, and we do see some of that, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you... Um, if you look at the at the, the five black belts, right, that he gave out, you have, you know, Mauricio Gomez, um, who is now a, I believe, a candy cane belt or a coral belt, I think candy cane. He is Haja Gracie's dad, right? So, like, you can't tell me that there isn't a, a, a direct influence into who Haja Gracie is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other other one was Jack Ray not not the not the new age Jack Ray the old school Jack Ray uh, Homero um, who is the the head of alliance which is the top team in the world today you know you look at the other one Carlos Gracie Jr. who leads Gracie Baja who runs IBJJF you have Marcio Stambowski who runs the the biggest team in Connecticut you know, um, who's got incredible jujitsu is still still one of the best technicians in the world. Um, so his influence lives on. But you are right that we would we won't know what it would have been like if Holes was still alive today. Mm-hmm. And he passed away in a it was a hang gliding hang gliding accident. Hang gliding accident. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was I think it was nineteen eighty two. Eighty two. Yeah. Okay, and how did the family react to that when it happened? Was it Oh, I, I think I think everybody was I think everybody was destroyed. I think it was, I think it was one of those things that it, it hit the family, both sides of the family. I'm gonna call it one family because there's no two sides as far as I'm concerned. But um, yeah, I think it hit the family incredibly hard and in in a lot of different levels. And those levels would be different for every person in the family. You know, the younger kids who wanted to be like Holes lost their hero the the siblings and cousins that were his age lost their leader you know um both carlos and and my grandfather lost a son you know um jiu-jitsu in general lost an ambassador a creative mind right um an influencer um i think i think his 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 death was one of the biggest tragedies in jiu-jitsu so just wrapping up his legacy to me it's influential and I mean, we pointed to techniques where it's, let's, you could pick many things, but open guard would right. be one. And then also this mentality of looking anywhere for something useful, right. always being open to, always knowing that you're not perfect and right. you can improve on taking technique, mentalities, anything from someone else. Anything that you would add to, to his legacy? I think... Any stories, any good stories that come um, to mind when you think of him? I mean, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't around when he was around, right? So all my stories are from family members. I do, um, you know, other than the ones I've shared today, there was a, a a video, and that was the first fight ever seen of his. It's on YouTube still. Um, and I had, like, you know, it was the first time I saw him actively, like, a footage of him competing. And it was a challenge. Uh, somehow they challenged these karate guys, or these karate guys challenged them. It was one of those things to prove which style was superior. And uh, the karate guys demanded no mats because, as far as they were concerned, they, they would never go to the ground, right? They were just going to knock out these 
five jujitsu guys mm-hmm. long before the, this ever got crazy. Anyways, so the footage shows holes in this guy going to fight. And again, it's everything is allowed. They have their geese, but, you know, there's, there's no rules. And I think this guy, like, pulled his fist back to, to throw a punch. And he, I don't think the fist ever moved because he, like, holes closed, clinched, closed the distance, body folded him. And now, you know, when you body fold somebody, it's easy to just kind of, like, tip him over and lay them down nice and gently and, like, mount him. Mm-hmm. He body folded him. And then, like, he jumped in the air and, like, oh. swan dove onto this guy, onto the ground. And, and there's no mats, right? Yeah. <laughs> the guy's like, I immediately regret not having mats here. <laughs> And then he got on top of him and he started punching him. Like he wasn't trying to submit him. And when the guy put his hands up to protect his face, I think he got armbarred. Um, but I remember watching that fight and thinking like, that was so easy. You know what I mean? Well, it was easy because it's jujitsu, but also because it was holds Gracie. Right. And mm-hmm. that's when I, that's when I started like asking family members about him. And, and, and like I said, you know, a lot of, nobody will deny Hicks and Gracie's ability. Right. Nobody in anywhere in jujitsu will ever say that Hickson is not as good as he claims. Everybody knows that Hickson is the the best, right? But then underneath Hickson, everybody says that Holes was better than Hickson, right? Um, and it's easy to ask the question of who would have been better had Holes remained alive. And we'll never know that, but we, we know that at the stage of where Holes died and where Hickson was at that point in his life, Holes was was better. Well, if if you're listening and you haven't watched many videos with Holes, go watch them. It, you le- you can learn a lot just watching it. Read about him. He is someone who you could aspire to be on and off the mats. Absolutely. So we'll wrap this one up. I don't know. I don't know if we do a segment for it, but uh, we did. We saw Avengers last we did week. See Avengers, yeah. Avengers Endgame. We won't give any spoilers away. Mm-mm. Did you like it? I did. I appreciate that Batman was in there, though. Batman, I know, I did not expect to see him come out. <laughs> right when you're thinking, like, Thanos is going to win. It's over. Yeah, right? you hear, let me see that gauntlet. And you see, like, a Batarang right. come in. And it I'm bra- amazed you could say that <laughs> with a straight face. <laughs> a Batarang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. As I'm watching it, I'm thinking, all right, which of all the Marvel characters do you feel like you'd have the best chance of taking down if you had to? If they're like... Croyler, you have to take out one of these guys. Which do you think you have the best chance? And it can be a surprise scenario. It's not like you're both walking in a, in a ring walking to each other. Well, I mean, you just pick the less powered ones. Not necessarily, because I, I thought that at first. Like, okay, I would take Black Widow or Hawkeye, people who don't have the superpowers. Right. However, they have elite special forces training, so they'd be very observant and always be monitoring you. So if you are going to try to jump their back, they probably already know you're there. <laughs> Gotcha. So, probably be Ant-Man. I feel like Ant-Man. Ant-Man, Ant-Man will be the one. Yeah. <laughs> Ant-Man's the least intimidating. Is it Paul Rudd? Is that, uh, Paul Rudd? that may be part of it. But in in, <laughs> in every Ant-Man movie, seems like he just gets pushed around and kicked around. Uh, he always makes it, though. He does make it, though. I hated those movies. <laughs> All right, well... We'll end it with that one. So if you haven't seen Avengers, go watch it. Go watch it. Don't be surprised when Batman comes in. Uh, or, or, or be surprised and just pretend you didn't hear that. 
Right. It'll be weird when they do the DC Marvel crossover. Right. I don't know how that's going to work out. I also didn't expect them to pull in characters from Grey's Anatomy. That's a weird crossover. That was, that was I, d- I don't know what they're aiming at for that one. Hey, but it's phase four. Phase four. I think we're going to find uh, Drax and Groot in the ABC Grey's Anatomy cast lineup now. now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week.